0: I don't think it's totally like everything else. Hiring for games is fun. I'll tell you, most of my Mm -hmm. peers don't love their lives because they're not working. (laughs) You get to be excited about this industry there is joy in this industry that's that's why i came here you know that's why i left my career doing executive search and moved into games and have never left and i never will it's because there is joy in the products that you are building there's passion from the players and the audiences that you're designing those products to serve and at least in my position the way i get to impact that is by bringing in folks that are equally excited to the the concept of building Joy, right? Actual yeah. joy. It's an amazing thing. You know, right. I might not be curing cancer. I'm not helping move the needle in healthcare, right? But I do think in some way I'm helping make the world a better place. And I think games really do make the world a better place. And that's the thing that differentiates the games industry from basic mass media. Right? Mm. Um that differentiates itself from every one of the you know, tech companies that I just talked about, there's not a lot of joy there. In fact, in some cases, there's outright soullessness. Um, I Mm. do think for what it's worth, in games, you get soul.
1: Welcome to Building Better Games, where we dive into what matters most in game development, leaders, and culture. Your hosts are Aaron Smith and Benjamin Karsic. Aaron and Ben are two veteran game industry leaders who have served a global audience of gamers and want to change how games are made. Welcome back, everyone, to Building Better Games. And we are doing part two of hiring today, which we're really excited about because this is something we're both very passionate about, but also we're excited to have our good friend, Aaron Hardman, on the show. Um, There's somebody we've been waiting to talk to about this kind of thing for a while. Yeah. And we both um, left Riot after working with her for several years and had a boatload of respect for her. Mm-hmm. She's really, really, really good at her job. And she is uh, very clear at articulating what's important and what matters. And one of my favorite things about her was always what a just clean and supportive ad- advocate she was for the, the people coming in who might work at Riot. She was always, advocating for their best interests and representing them. And it was just something that gave me a lot of admiration for her and and what she does. So um, I'm going to kick it over to you, Aaron, actually, have you do a little introduction real quick.
0: Hi. Yeah. No, thank you. That was really, uh, really sweet of you to say. And uh, not sure. All of that praise was actually warranted, but I'll take it. Um, Definitely was. I am Aaron Hardman. I've worked at Riot for almost seven years now, so I'm rapidly approaching the uh, point at which both of these two ejected from me. (laughs) Um, But at any rate, so I'm running executive search now for Riot, what that means is I manage the team that does all of the recruiting for anything that Riot would consider ostensibly to be director or above. But I mean, when I originally got to Riot, I got to work with you 2 right? Mostly in production oriented searches and it didn't matter what job level within riot Um, i expanded to include tech recruiting i built that function out with a bunch of the tech recruiters that we had there i also ended up taking over a bunch of like sort of different ancillary stuff worked for oksana kabushna for a bit and then i don't know ended up with a bunch of personal life stuff that took off in a wonderful direction and asked to take exec search and that's what i do now that help?
2: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Perfect.
0: So at any rate, we were having a really interesting discussion um, before we started this particular segment on values-based assessments, right? And what the Mm -hmm. two of you have experienced with some of your clients, perhaps some of them leaning more towards very process-oriented expediency in hiring versus sort of the approach that the two of you grew up with um, at Riot. And one of the things that you said struck me, Aaron, is that you really can't you can't you can't really see as much value, right, in in the sort of alternative expedient, uh, very process driven approach, because you think it loses something along the way. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's it's I I love that conversation. I think it's something great to dig into right off the bat because I think you very articulately communicated that there are um, sort of two. Or not two different angles, but they're it's like a spectrum, right? And if you went to an extreme on either side, one extreme might be like the sort of the legends of the old QA pit back in like nineteen nineties and early two thousands game development, where it's like it's just like straight up body count and hire hire them tomorrow,
0: hire them in exa- mass, exa-
1: yeah, exactly. Don't worry, it's just a, a bunch of doe yeah, a bunch of doe eyed kids who should feel so lucky to be able to like you know, use a gamepad at their jobs every day. And, you know, we're sort of secretly in our minds as veteran game production folks knowing that probably 30% of them get let go at the end of every project lifecycle. And, and that and that sort of very kind of soulless, bad reputation kind of old school approach versus, to your point, I think what Riot showed from a very early on per, uh, uh, Well, what Riot showed very early on, which was like, take forever if you have to. Because each possible person and is sacred. and like to add somebody to the team is like a sacred ritual. And like I, I'm using some strong language here, but like that's what it felt like. I mean, uh, I remember when there was only 40 or 50 of us in the beginning. and it was sort of seen as an honor to participate in the recruiting process at all. And it was not a given. That you would be able to participate in the recruiting process, yet at the same time it was expected and aspirational that everyone would be participating in some way. And I knew people that worked at Riot back in those days, and not least of all, even executives and people who are high up at the organization spending, I would guess, 20, 30, 40 percent of their total time just hiring. Mm -hmm. And it was like not seen as a bad investment to go through this process of weeks with somebody just to have them fall through the cracks at the end, it was almost like in a weird way like, okay, we did our jobs. We did the filtering process worked. Something didn't click and and, and we saved ourselves from a lot of problems that might have come up if we brought that person in. And again, so those two extremes are interesting. Like what comes up for you Uh, when you hear me talk about that? Because, I mean, you've seen both, certainly.
0: Yeah, I think that was uh, very akin to even when I joined Riot about seven years ago. I think it was still very much an honor to be a part of the hiring process. I do think, though, when you hit a certain scale, spending as much time as Riot did initially on on the evaluation period, I actually think started to become a liability to some degree because we simply Mm. couldn't hire at a rate... that would satisfy the required growth of league of legends right at the time um, so when you considered the, the necessary increase in velocity we had to start making some trades on potentially the the values assessment and all of the various layers that we went through to get there yeah. versus some efficiency and i actually think we did it over time in a way that that has netted us a pretty healthy balance between efficiency, um, and effective values orientation. Right. Yeah. Um, at least that's my feeling. Now the two of you haven't been gone all that long. Do you agree or disagree?
2: I, I would say I agree. Um, and I, I think there are even more extreme interviewing processes that I've seen like Facebook and their, Hey, we want you to actually show up for several days and work with the team because anybody might be able to sort of BS their way through an interview. But if we actually put you at a desk with a computer and tell you to be part of the team and work with us, and we'll we'll learn a lot more about you than we would running you through a test and having you talk to a few people. And there's advantages and disadvantages. That's an almost a more extreme take of like, we really want to know what it's like to work with you before we bring you in type of thing. And I don't know if they're still doing that. Um, my guess is they still are. But uh but like that's very costly that's costly for the candidate it's costly for the company riot was when we when i first got there i do remember there was a problem with the interview process and i don't i think you might have been part of cleaning it up the idea of um you'd go into an interview and it would be some like for me let's say there would be some producer sitting opposite you and they would ask you the same questions as the other three interviews you just yes. went through and like, so there was a lot of refining into um, what is it that I'm supposed to focus on as the person doing the interview. Like, I have a responsibility and a role here that's not just, you know, show up and be like, oh, well, I'm important. You're not. Here's a bunch of questions that oh, I didn't like you. Like there was a I guess I would say, as, as you were describing, as Aaron was describing it, one of the downsides of that approach may have been a little bit of arrogance or pride on the side of Riot. And I, I it manifested, actually, I, I worked with a product lead who came in when I was on sustainability. He joined w- when we were there. And he said he got the question after we reached out to him multiple times to see if he would come and work with us. We were like, so, why, why Riot? And his response was, and he's a really honest, direct guy. He was just like, you contacted me. Like, that. that's why I'm here, because that seemed interesting. And and I think at that time, we transitioned enough. But, like, early on, that would have been anathema. It would have been like, oh, how dare he? Like, what do you mean we contact – don't you recognize that, like, of all places to work, riots the best? Like, how could you say, what do you mean you con- – you know? And, and so I think I saw a maturing of that and an understanding of – um that there is a give and take from both sides in an interviewing process. And also that when you walk into that room, know what you're supposed to focus on and trust the other people to focus on what they're supposed to focus on. Um, so anyway, that, those are things like, I definitely saw evolution. I definitely saw maturing over time.
1: One, one thing that came up for me as I heard both of you speak there is like I felt overwhelmed, honestly. And the reason I felt overwhelmed is because as you were both speaking, so many things were that were coming into my mind as I was remembering what that was like. Don't forget about that. That's dependent on that. Well, that only ma- – like for example, um, we're talking a lot about time spent in the interview process. And you've mentioned we were spending – way too much time. And we've said in the past, we certainly said in the past, well, we weren't spending enough time. We need to spend more time. And I'm my the first thought I had as I was reflecting on that was like, is it as much about the time you're spending or what you're doing with that time? Mm-hmm. Because I think to, the, to your point, Aaron, I remember that we got a lot of negative feedback over the years about our hiring process. Like externally, it was viewed as um, on... A good day tedious, on a bad day oppressive. Actually, there were like I remember reading Glass Doors and reading stuff like that, and like there was a lot of complaints, and some of them well articulated about like this was not handled well. Like I, this was a bad experience for me as a candidate, and I know a lot of game companies struggle with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so my thinking is like back to, to what you were saying, Ben, I do remember that sitting in rooms with a, a co-interviewer who I had never interviewed before and remembering that that guy had like serious interviewer cred and then just like listening to the questions he was asking and being like, oh my God, you're terrible at this. Had no, and, and I remember there was a distinct point actually where we kind of woke up to the reality that it was mostly sort of like urban legend that determined who was a good interviewer and not. There was no actual way to assess. And we realized overnight that like a bunch of the people we had interviewing were actually not at all good interviewers. And, and we had to figure out for the first time what it even meant to be a good interviewer. Yeah. Like how do you even frame that, right? And so I guess all of that to say... This stuff is really complicated, actually, and it's really hard. And if it were that easy, I think companies would all be really good at it. But it's it's you're, you're there's so many trade offs. It's like a giant dashboard of bells, whistles, buttons, and levers, right? And it's like how do you pull? Where do you you know trade things off? What's important? It's it's it is overwhelming. I think
2: the the number one thing, obviously, Aaron, uh, to be a good interviewer was to in 24 hours get your interview notes back to Aaron. Yes. So that you would not do in trouble. That. That was yeah. That's right. As long as you did that, yeah. you were a good interviewer. <laughs>
0: ah, you at least had some points <laughs> with me, right, to spend <laughs> on something else. <laughs> no, what I would say, like, if you're talking about what what a good interviewer does, a good interviewer reminds themselves about their own bias right Mm -hmm. looks in the mirror and takes a good gander at at who they are what value set they bring to the table and what Mm -hmm. and tries to consider at the end of an interview what blind spots they may have as it relates to that candidate's experience or the conversation that they had with that person i think that's one critical thing one of the things i loved about working with both of you is i think you were very self-reflective particularly as you gained more experience as managers hiring more and more people, right, you became better calibrated to understanding what your own blind spots were and appropriately crafting the panel interviewers to help you cover those blind areas, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, both of you are openly pale and male, for example. So I know that you really thought carefully about how you could diversify your panels, for example, to make sure you garnered other perspectives that wouldn't necessarily Uh, come to your attention through the course, through the course of your own interaction with that person. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's something that I live in
1: Colorado now. And I would ask that you give me a break.
0: I mean, you know, the snow is reflective. So at least (laughs) you'll be able to reflect back, you know, much like me. I don't know if you've noticed, I am also fairly pale and reflective. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I also think like, like, I, I think that Uh, Another thing that would make someone a particularly good interview is someone who – interviewer, rather, is someone who is empathetic to the candidate, right? Mm -hmm. Particularly if they're displaying a great deal of anxiety or nervousness. Like no matter what, even if you make it the safest space in the world, you're still not safe, right, when you interview. I
1: want want to say something on that because I I love that you brought that up. I distinctly remember a point where – that, that could really kill mm-hmm. your interview as a candidate at Riot. Um, yep. I, and I, I, I have no doubt that there's a lot of tech companies where this can be the case where it's like, I, I trained myself to view that when a person hit that point, my, that a switch would go off in my brain and be like, you're no longer getting good information. Mm-hmm. You, you have to pivot to going straight full human empathy now. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what your questions were or any of that, because you, like now, this, this sort of like the data environment is like, is, is muddy now, right. right? Like, you can't collect good information. And, and it actually isn't always easy to tell when somebody's having that kind of breakdown. I've been there in interviews, certainly. I mean, I, I, when I had my interview with Steve Snow, I remember I, I got off the phone, as many people did in interviews with him, and they're like, there's no way I passed that and many of them did and it's because he was actually looking for things that they didn't think he was looking for but what was interest, what's interesting about that to me is like that idea that like people will get nervous it's like a really big deal and for most people that's like a critical life-changing yeah. you know watershed moment and i think as when you're on the other side of the table and you're you've done you know three interviews that day and six that week it's easy to sort of view that person as a number And you you have to be really really careful about that. Yeah.
0: The other thing too to note is like, as an interviewer in that process, right? If you give them a good experience and they do well holistically throughout their process, the likelihood that they can see themselves working with you, next to you, side by side with you every day is much increased. It helps your likelihood of closing that person, Mm -hmm. right? Of bringing them to the table. Um, I think of of hiring sort of like getting married, right? You go through a courting process, then you have to say yes to the right dress, but both parties are sort of saying yes to each other. It's not it's not yes. Riot saying, oh, I'm going to grace you with this offer, right? It's it, there should be some mutual attraction there, so to speak. When I first yeah. got to Riot, though, I'll tell you, we certainly thought, to your point earlier, we were hot shit um and so why wouldn't you accept my ring of course candidate and it was a little befuddling when folks turned us down you know Uh, (laughs) but part of the reason why they might would have been poor candidate experience folks forgetting that part of this in your role as an interviewer is to is to display a degree of empathy and camaraderie and team building and relationship building during the course of that interaction you're going to be working with that person they should also want to work with you Mm.
1: So in your experience, what would you say are the things that you've seen managers struggle with uh, or that they miss as they try to become effective hiring leaders?
0: Hmm, That's a good question. I think think some folks rely on their panel to make decisions for them, and they can be very Mm. uncomfortable with making a controversial decision. Okay, so examples of this. Um, And where I think we've gotten much better over time is by segmenting interviews, to Ben's point earlier, and assigning very specific competencies and providing perhaps even question banks or leading questions, right, that will then help you gather the right information. I think that has lent itself to um, giving a manager enough total perspectives that touch on all of the points needed that they can then look at that person and kind of Think about them in the totality of the deck that they're building, right? To use a magic reference, so to speak, right? So, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're going to, if if you're playing a certain game, you want to make sure that your team is the appropriate blend of experiences, which might allow you to hire someone that's spiky, right? You might be able to do that, but Riot early on, oh God, no, you couldn't hire someone spiky because that might, what... You couldn't, you couldn't be confident in that so, and so early at least. And I would say even middle of the way through my journey at Riot, I saw a lot of managers make choices where I think that they, that I think they actually should have probably made bets on instead. Um, mm-hmm. But it would have required them to put their own career a little bit on the line, right? To go against perhaps the popular opinion of the day or of their panel, panel and say, I accept the risks here's my mitigation plan, I'm going to move forward. Does that make sense to you too?
1: It, it does. And yeah. actually, I remember a specific situation I was in where I talked to you a lot about a particular case. Um, and it was, it was a formative experience. Now, mine wasn't about sort of being worried about public opinion, I think it was more of a concern around like what the a- what the actual risk was of bringing somebody in that was spiky. And actually what I love so much about what you just said there it resonates so much is and this is this is the the takeaway I think for hiring managers be careful about how you form your panel because if you form your panel around diffusing responsibility and getting the consensus that you're hungry for so that you don't feel as personally culpable for the decision Or is your, are you building a panel to cut like? You said earlier to cover all your blind spots. Make sure you have different perspectives, different skill sets represented. Almost like very strategic, like you said, like you're building a, a deck for Magic or you're building your 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 team of champions or whatever. It's like this is I, I built this deck specifically to net the best results, so I can make the best decision. But you're right. I have seen a lot of hiring managers who actually ended up just bringing the same people back to their panels who would always say yes to whatever candidate they brought yep. in, and so. They- then they would just be like, ah, see, if if, if if this blows up in my face, we're all responsible because we all said yes, right? Yep. Uh, that's a, that's an interesting point there. And I think how you construct your panel is everything and why. There's, well,
0: there's and, something else. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to just say an ownership over that decision. To be honest with you, if you think about it, how what percentage of your performance should be evaluated by the people you hire? I think quite a bit, actually, because your team's overall performance will hopefully be excel- accelerated right, by every hire that you make. And if you notice that someone's making bad hires, well, you should be able to then address that right, with that particular leader um, mm-hmm. and potentially performance manage them appropriately, if it's appropriate. Rather,
1: I, I'm going to be honest with you, I love what you just said, I've never seen that really. And and, and I, I'm wondering if you have seen it and why you think that that's rare or not rare well, based on your perspective. Well, I think it's
0: rarer in smaller organizations, frankly, because so ma- in small companies, like when you first got here, Aaron, there were 40 people here, you were all buddies. It's really hard to fire your buddy. Okay, we were supposed to be a sports team. I am here to tell you that was (laughs) that was not the case, right? For Riot early on, Um, but as as a company scales, right, or if you don't fall into the trap of hiring only your friends from the get go, and you're comfortable with working through performance evaluations and you can unbias yourself enough to be fair, I do think you should, in fact, hold accountable managers for their assessments over time, ta- like the assessments of the talent that they're bringing in and then the outcomes of that talent. Because a bad manager, I think, in part, is someone who hires the wrong people, right? <clears throat> you remember, you have that saying at Riot, A's hire A's, B's,
2: B's hire C's. C's.
0: and so forth, and so on down the alphabet soup. Like, I think that there's something to be said there. And if you occasionally slip up, I don't think that's a problem, right? But if it's a repeated instance where you observe that the hires made by a particular individual tend to fail, then either that's a sincere coaching opportunity for that manager, or it may be that there may be other, I would wonder at that point if there were not other gaps perhaps that that person needed to address, right? Do I think it's universally held that we're measuring that effectively yet at riot? We can. We have the systems and tools in place to do it. Can I guarantee you that it's always done well? Of course not. Do I think we're right. trying though? Yeah, I do. Now.
1: Mm. Yeah, I was I I think what strikes me there is again that question of do is that is that the norm? that managers in any capacity in in any game company or any company in general are held accountable ultimately for the hires they make i mean it, it's it's a hard thing no, to do I, right I, I think the, like you
2: yeah the, the I,
1: end- I, I yeah i don't i think you're right Ben. i don't think it it is
2: well, and, the, and i think it probably should be the thing the thing for me is having been there you have to learn to take that seriously for some reason and i think in so many organizations to come back to the idea of incentives again The incentives just aren't there. Um, And so you do, you know, rush into that meeting. Yeah. And you're like, I don't know. Yep, the recruiters have handed me six names. Great. Okay, I'm going to interview these. And, you know, even what you were saying earlier, there's a a word and it's empathy. And we mentioned it earlier. Empathy. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to have empathy for these people you're bringing in, empathy for the team they're going into, and empathy for the audience that they're going to be serving? Yes. Because – when you're a hiring manager, you're not just thinking who's the best person I can hire. You're, you should be thinking along all those angles. And that's how you get like who's the best person I should hire. Mm-hmm. And then you try to unbias yourself against like, I like these shapes because they're like me. Mm-hmm. And I should probably have shapes of people that aren't like me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and that was, I, I you guys were talking about spikiness. I it was so frustrating to me because I remember I expressed this. I, maybe we even talked about this, Aaron. Mm-hmm. It was, so frustrating because it was like once you got senior enough you could be spiky as all get out you could have just huge gaping holes in your um, experience awareness capability whatever And everybody's fine because well that's okay they're spiky they're so good over here but when we were hiring someone new it was like they had to be good at everything
0: perfect um, they had for to their be level the golden and,
2: goose and mm-hmm. i remember being just so frustrated by somebody's got to do all the work right <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah, well, there's- you know damn well
1: it ain't going to be us. <laughs> that,
2: that's, that's true. That's that thing. Like, there's a...
1: By the way, I, I want to take a second on that, Ben, because that hit me hard when you were just saying that just now. I'm I'm only half fucking joking, actually. Um, yeah. And I wonder if that's part of it, because I remember, Uh, I, I I hope to God I'm not tooting my own horn here, but I feel like by the time I left, I got pretty good at this like building good teams and f- hiring good people. And, and I still am very proud of all the hires I, I ended up making and the people that I specifically selected to be on my team. And one thing I remember feeling was actually a certain pressure of like, naturally when you bring great people onto your team, they slowly work you out of a job. And right. And like idealistically, it's something we often talked about as being good, being aspirational. Like, that's great. You're if you're if you have hired yourself out of a job as a leader, you've done well. But I don't ever remember anyone actually giving me attaboys about that. I do remember people asking me, what would you say it is you do here now? Well, if Ben's so good at this, why don't we just give him your job? I remember those conversations and and so and and those are just little micro experiences I've had but I wonder if that is because I do feel like I've seen a pattern of managers actually almost being more inclined to hire B players if they're A or C players if they're B because then they're less threatened in their position because no one can do what they do. So I I wonder is that a crazy thought like that is that conspiratorial like what do you guys think because that sounds really horrible if that's happening. Maybe it's an incentive that exists that's subconscious. I don't know.
0: So I don't suffer from that personally. Uh, <laughs> I don't either. Like I, I can't hire. Uh, I can't hire people that I'm not confident in as a leader. Like I just can't. And it doesn't. And I will tell you guys, and you know it. I'll sit you down, and if I think you're making the wrong decision for Riot, I'll tell you. Uh, you can overrule me. Part of my job is to be overruled, right? And to and to make sure that I'm on board and that I'm your really good partner. But in that partnership. My job, in part, is to tell you when I think you're hiring a B player and why, right? I might be mm-hmm. diplomatic about it. I might have a certain approach. I might be less mm. diplomatic about it, depending on how close we are. But like, you know, that's that's likely to be my style. Um, do I think, though, that in certain circumstances, hiring is influenced or the quality bar is influenced based on the perception or fear that you might work yourself out of a job. I do think that that's certainly something that from a, even if it's an unconscious perspective, might be biasing process for Mm -hmm. sure. And it's something that I would encourage managers to self-reflect on when they're considering two or three very good candidates, right, for a role, um, and perhaps leaning instead towards one that may not actually have every facet of the things that you've se- said would elevate your team, right? It might yeah. be a good, if if that's happening, right, and you're getting little ear flicks from your partner in crime, hopefully that's the part of your recruiter or your talent partner, whomever you are working with on making this hire, listen to them, right? Because maybe they're helping you uncover something that's biasing in the background, your decision. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. And yeah, that idea of values versus like work. Am I hiring a workhorse? Am I hiring somebody who's has potential? Almost every time I saw somebody try to hire just like, hey, th- I think they can do the job right now. And I have no idea where they'll be in two years. Most of the time that went badly. Now, I want to say I have a bias because I, I operate from a discipline that was about communication and leadership. And so potential was like a big deal. Not to say that it isn't in other disciplines, but maybe there's a time where you hire somebody because they're a really good engineer or a really good artist, and you're not necessarily worried about them becoming some leader in the future or scaling up or something. Like you hope that they become a better artist or a better engineer, and they become better at their craft. But there's a different... I I just want to expose that. That's a potential bias I have. But I remember something um, a leader at Riot would say, and it's, we contract labor we like what was the phrase we contract labor we hire potential or something like that um and it's this idea of look if we're bringing someone in as a full-time member of this organization i want to know not just that they can do the job right now but that they're going to continue to become better at it over time and if i don't think that that's true and if i don't need that for this piece of work i'm doing don't hire somebody um contract that out, like find somebody who you can pull in for six months or a year, solve your problem and Mm. and have them go back out into the world. There's people out there who have that, who love doing that stuff. Um, And, and I think that was also something that, you know, a lot of, a lot of video game companies have to figure out when am I contracting somebody to do something versus when am I hiring somebody full time? And I think uh, we were in an environment where we biased towards hiring and tried not to contract too much and i think other studios are certainly in places where they contract almost everything and hire almost never and by the Um, way
1: we we always talk about incentives that's an incentive structure mm -hmm. right there right like if you want those things to be viewed as tools that managers can use to make the best decision for the company not as like hard and fast policies where it's like well we don't contract here it's like well if you don't contract here you're probably going to hire more people that you maybe don't want to hire, right? Because the managers have no choice if they need to solve a problem they have to hire. And and by the way, that incentive was the thing that I was pointing to. And the reason that incentive matters is because I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, and I'm just reflecting a lot on you, Aaron, and what I saw you do over the years. And I'm just like, holy cow, somebody who can find like top tier talent, like if you could find one top tier employee a month, like somebody that was going to be at the company for years and was going to crush it and be at the sort of top of your Pareto distribution or whatever and you did literally nothing else other than that i'm like you're worth your weight in gold like i really believe that like because over the course of a year that's 12 hires you've made i'll pay your salary for that like that's still like no matter how how handsomely you're paid that's still a fraction of what i would pay for a headhunter who's gonna do a way worse job you know what i mean yeah. so th- i guess the point i'm making there is like i really think executives and companies need to just really push incentive and i don't mean financial but like cultural incentives and 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 rewards for people who are really good at this and understanding what it means to be really good at this because that is that is the most sacred function i think in any game studio is like especially now right with the great resignation and talent being harder to get than it has probably been in our lifetimes it's like If you have people who can hire good people, like, (laughs) make sure they feel good about working at your company. Well,
2: and and make sure that they're able to – that was another frustration similar to, you know, when you and I tried to go do training. When you and I would spend a lot of time hiring people, like, there was so much pushback we would get sometimes. Just like, you're spending more time. You got more interviews. Ben, and we – I mean yes, I there do. were points where we both <laughs> limited our schedule like Aaron you know you were on the receiving end of this we were like I can't do more than 3 a week I'm sorry I have and part of that makes sense but there was always a part of me that was in the back of my mind running through this idea of wait a minute the most critical thing we do is bring new people into this organization you know because there's always going to be some going out and there we're we're expanding and we're growing we want to do more stuff as we bring people in How confident are we that they are the right people? Because hiring the wrong person is not a trivial problem. It is a serious big deal, especially- It's really
1: hard, complicated stuff, honestly.
2: Especially when you're hiring leaders. So Aaron, just to transition, I wanna give you an opportunity to say whatever you wanna say about that, and then I wanna dive into some game-specific stuff.
0: Why don't we talk about games? I think that was a very good uh, cap, right, to that particular Uh, statement. I don't have anything to add. It's unusual, I know.
2: Um, well, well, then I guess I'm curious, as a recruiter, what is unique about games and hiring for game companies compared to like so many other industries out there?
0: So game companies um, historically hired on passion right? Uh, or affiliation with a particular product. So they tend to hire fanatics to start at least. And I, I've seen that again and again with many of the companies um, where I have contacts or connections or I just you know speak with with folks in the industry. It is very evident to me, particularly when you're starting out and you're a new organization, you want to find folks that are hyper interested in the slice of the gaming industry that you are producing in um Mm -hmm. you tend to also then capitalize on that by paying them somewhat less than what their market competitors might otherwise Mm -hmm. offer them Uh, but the the trade of course that they theoretically get is satisfaction right and and um on a number of axes, you know, professionally, personally, right. They become a little bit, uh, like they, they're more likely to want to work a lot of hours. Right. And if you're paying them on salary, that only benefits you, the employer. So that was the history there, right. You really can't do that anymore. Um, in the current talent market, Hmm. at least not in my, it, it, you might be able to trade a little bit on that. But mm. the the more and more that I'm working with talent these days, the the more likely it is that they're going to expect that you see salaries that are more equivalent, right, to some of the um, the more tertiary uh, competitors, so to speak. And I'm not just talking about um, our fang, right, right, bin right. fang for the audience is or was Facebook now Meta right Amazon Apple Netflix Google and all of the the sort of other players that might be able to meet that sort of compensation I'm not just talking about them I'm talking about even other startups that are st- you're starting to see very inflated salaries for particularly critical talent engineering art oh my gosh mm-hmm. like you might have at one time been able to underpay artists relative to some of some of our competitors you can't do it anymore right mm-hmm. You have to start thinking very thought and be very thoughtful and intentional about how you structure your benefits uh, for those potential employees. You might be able to trade more on equity, for sure, but you need to make sure your salaries are localized and healthy enough to give folks a decent lifestyle, or if you're open to remote and you're comfortable with the associated potential pitfalls of a remote distributed workforce, right? then you should move in that direction because the talent, like the way that the the marketplace is running right now is headlong down one of those two avenues.
1: Well, there's obviously a pandemic right now, but what else is shifting there? Do you think that's causing some of those trends?
2: Yeah. How long has that been going on?
0: Technology has advanced enough. I I don't actually think that we would have gotten to this point already if the pandemic hadn't hit, right? And all of a sudden Mm -hmm. companies had to make major overnight investments in infrastructure that brought Mm -hmm. us together. But now, by and large, almost every working professional in the United States at least, and certainly through much of the um, more technologically advanced world, they have cameras. They have a stable and reliable internet. We have Zoom or whatever sort of array of interconnective tissue. Everyone uses Slack or a Slack equivalent, right? To communicate real time. And I will say this, because those technological advancements were fast forwarded and now most folks have those home office setups, if you have found that your quality of life has increased dramatically without a commute for example where you literally are able to grab coffee from your kitchen and then you go into your office and you can then start your day and then maybe even pop out for a run at lunch right and then Mm -hmm. pop back in and you're still ready to go right back to work right with your colleagues like i do feel Like, the industry has moved much more rapidly in that direction, and I think it's going to become ever increasingly more difficult to convince folks to return to your typical in-office 9 to 5, 10 to 7, whatever the core hours for your business are. Now, I will say this, though. I have observed... And this is certainly rooted in the games industry many many of the smaller studios have adapted either a flexible work relationship where some folks if they're so inclined go into a physical office others can choose to work remotely predominantly that's the majority of game studios there's only a few that i know of that are insisting on I think one or two a full two, return to work, a full return to work. Right. Like, and those companies, to be honest with you, I sincerely doubt will be competitive with the talent marketplace. Right. So, I mean, I guess my biggest word of wisdom and piece of advice is invest in the technology that makes this possible and figure out ways as managers to keep your teams healthy and strong and functioning in, um, not Again, going back to the empathy thing we were talking about earlier, like make sure that make sure that you can facilitate empathy for each other in these remote environments, but expect it, embrace it, and get used to it because it isn't going anywhere.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think there's a theme there, which is that the workers have the power. They do. Right now.
0: They for sure um,
1: do. More, certainly more so than they did 10 years ago. Mm-hmm.
0: I mean 10 There's, years ago we didn't have the technology, right, that would that would have facilitated right. this. But now, yeah. no one could no company could argue that we do not, right?
1: Yeah. My grandparents always told me I would be lucky, like that you were lucky to have a good job. That was like a big like like you should consi- you should have gratitude for the the luxury of having a good job, that it wasn't something to be taken for granted and and now I uh, Again, with that sort of old-school mentality fresh in my brain, it is easy for me sometimes to be like, you know, we're all turning into a bunch of wet blankets or <laughs> whatever <laughs> because we're like, I don't want to go outside my house. like. And but, but it is, it's easy to, I think, nitpick like what you should be okay asking for and what you shouldn't, and this is okay, and this is what workers owe, and this is what company, it, forget about all that. But the interesting trend that you're pointing to is that um, workers are actually in power. They haven't been in power in a long time, honestly. Not since so labor I think from unions. That per- if you yeah, really, the f- inception yeah. of the
0: labor union movement was yeah. the last time you saw this kind of power, right? And I mm-hmm. think
1: that that's, that's really awesome. It's really exciting. And I think that what that probably means is that everyone's quality of life who is going out and looking for jobs is increasing. I know that's not the same. We have a, we're in a privileged position being in the tech industry, right? Yeah. Where um, I don't know if it's the same for truck drivers or meat packers, but um, it, in general, I think that there is uh, some truth that like the worker is getting more leverage now than they have had in the past. So. The
0: high income workers yeah. specifically, yeah. right? And I say yeah. that those that are typically in tech, entertainment, media, like the 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 kinds of spaces where you are doing primarily thought work as opposed to work with your hands. Yes, I would agree with that. Um, So the war for talent, though, is real. I mean, it's It's aggressive. It's real. You have to capitalize not just on the love of the product, but also the benefits you can provide, the culture that you have. That's part of the reason why earlier when we were discussing – having empathy building relationships and even as an interviewer understanding that your job well maybe you're not the manager or the hiring manager for that position part of your role is to help sell that person on your organization it's more important now than ever you should be honest mm-hmm. i'm not suggesting dishonesty by any stretch of the imagination but if you do feel a spark or a rapport you should probably move lean on that. that yeah, yeah. we should that. Have, we should
1: have like football and uh, like American football and European football, like talent scouts come in and coach our, our, recruiting and our hiring managers to help them. Cause they've probably been living in that kind of an environment forever. Right. Like yeah. where it's like, there's one guy coming out of college who's everyone, everyone's talking about. It's just
0: like, to some uh, degree, you're not wrong. It's uh when you find the right one, I mean, it's, they're going to have six other offers, right? So you need to figure yeah. out a way where your organization distinguishes themselves from all mm-hmm. of the rest. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it may not be always in compensation, like it doesn't have to always be in compensation. But you've got to figure out where what's motivating that person, and then tug on those heartstrings, right? That,
2: that connects the idea of empathy as well to something that is crucial to empathy: specificity. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I. I can't actually have just broad empathy for humankind, per se, and have that be meaningful. Mm -mm. Um, I I have empathy for an individual. And what you're calling out there, get to know the person you're trying to hire. What makes them tick? Why are they interested in leaving their old job, coming to a new job? How are you, and if you really think that they're going to be a great fit for you, how do you you know, convince is almost the wrong word, but almost collaborate with them to show that this is like a good thing for you both. Um, and and I think also, um, you know, graciousness and defeat. If they go somewhere else, that's a real opportunity, I think, to burn a bridge if you handle that badly. Um, and you never know, maybe they go somewhere else and a year later they're, they're out in the market again, and man, you can capitalize. Because if they had a great experience with you, they might be like, hey, do, is something still open? Uh, maybe you've hired someone but you know maybe somebody something else is and so yeah it 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 will benefit you it's that thing of if you if you care for people and you have empathy for people just for your own benefit it's not actually care and empathy and people will figure it out um, but if you start from those places you'll see the benefits down the road so to come back to the games industry a little bit um you said one thing is that it's no longer the place where passion rules and you can pay someone 20 cents on the dollar and they'll come in and slave away for 80 hours a week and like that's just it's you're you're seeing the trend away from that towards nope i like competitive benefits and to be treated well and as a human being and all these wonderful things and you can't just be like hey cool i get to be in the club of video game developers so that's all you get sorry make your make the best of it in your life um what else do you see in games? What has stayed different in games, if anything? And it's okay, like, let me know if it's just like, yeah, actually, it's very much like everything else. I
0: don't think it's totally like everything else. Hiring for games is fun. I'll tell you, most of my mm. peers don't love their lives because they're not working. You get to be excited about this industry, there is joy in this industry. That's that's why I came here, you know? That's mm-hmm. why I left my career doing executive search and moved into games and have never left, and I never will. It's because there is joy in the products that you are building. There's passion from the players and the audiences that you're designing those products to serve. And at least in my position, the way I get to impact that is by bringing in folks that are equally excited by the, the concept of building joy, right? Actual Mm. joy. It's an amazing thing. You know, Mm. I might not be curing cancer. I'm not helping move the needle in healthcare, right? But I do think in some way I'm helping make the world a better place. And I think games really do make the world a better place. And that's the thing that differentiates the games industry from basic mass media, right? Mm. Um, That differentiates itself from every one of the... You know, tech companies that I just talked about, there's not a lot of joy there. In fact, in some cases, there's outright soullessness. Um, I Mm. do think for what it's worth, in games, you get soul, and that's important to me. Mm. Mm. Um, And I do think that game studios, even the smaller ones, um, and in particular, actually, in many cases, the smaller ones are really looking to serve their customers, in, and their customers being players, of course. Um, and I think that they mostly start off with that premise, right? Sure, they want to make money too. <laughs> but, let's, but by and large, I think, unless they're purely operated by folks that just care about bringing in quick dollars, you're still seeing uh, a, an overall predilection to bringing in people that want to create joy in the lives Mm -hmm. of others and enrich the world in that way.
1: Mm -hmm. When so you I don't even want to think about how many candidates you've sort of like
0: Yeah thousands. It's
1: gotta be insane.
0: Yeah.
1: When you there's gotta be trends there and what you've seen like upsets people or what feels bad for people or what feels really good for people. What are those trends? Like what, what have you seen from all of your engagements with those folks?
0: Uh, you mean what might delight someone during the course of interviewing or what what exactly are you looking?
1: So, so what I'm asking is you probably have a pretty deep understanding, I would imagine of what the candidate experience can be, what it should be and what it often is not. And like, what, like, what are, what are the things that, Those people experience that hiring managers might be surprised about or what are what are the things that really work that really resonate that people might not think about? Like what 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 comes up for you there?
0: So many candidates really appreciate um, time one on one with the manager to dis- do discovery on the piece, uh, on, the, on the scope of work. And I'm not ch- talking about what the job description reads, okay? Mm-hmm. They might want to know about team dynamics, right? Um, Some of the roadmap pieces that they would be tasked with helping to accomplish, right? What the overall vision is uh, and how how the role that they are applying or interviewing for might help accelerate the accomplishment of that particular goal, vision, mission, objective. That, that might seem trivial to some folks, but the opportunity to build that initial rapport, understand the dream, so to speak directly from a manager, is is something that I think closes 90% of the people that I work with. Um, I can explain it until I turn blue in the face, but there's always some degree of, I, I won't call it overt distrust, but you know, my job is to sell a position and everybody knows it. Right, I'm, at my core, a salesperson, or maybe you might call me a matchmaker. So there is always going to be that layer of potential uh, aloofness or disbelief in some of the things that I might be saying. But if they hear it directly from the leader that they would be reporting to and working with to achieve or accomplish that thing, if that person is and emotes excitement, if they express enthusiasm, if they if they model their behavior in a way that is authentic, real, and is exciting, they're likely to connect very deeply and r- more rapidly with that person. And it won't work always in the same way for every candidate. Some candidates need more time, some need less, some, uh, but by and large, right, that, that can be very helpful. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Something that actually almost got me out of Riot early on, like a company um, I was at for a while. uh, And first little bit was I remember feeling like promises had been made to me during the interview process that weren't followed through Mm -hmm. once I was there. And nothing that was written down, and it was all word of mouth, and it was just like, well, maybe you misinterpreted it, and it's, you know, everybody's got a perspective. And really being so junior not knowing how to relate to that, but just feeling this deep distrust. I remember feeling like I never wanted to do that to somebody.
0: That's why you've Um, got to show the warts too. It's not all about sunshine and rainbows. You got to show the warts it's you got to show them the problems most in mm-hmm. most cases the leaders that i work with are excited by problems they actually don't want all the rainbows they want to know that the rainbows are there right sure everybody wants to see, hear the rainbow story but it's equally important to be incredibly vulnerable with candidates mm-hmm. to the degree that's of course appropriate right naming their mm-hmm. names you, you don't want to give a bunch of personal information out right but you can yeah. you can articulate a landscape for them that showcases the opportunities where they will have the most impact and often for leaders those are your problem areas they might be problem children perhaps right i don't know uh but they get excited and inspired by that and are more likely to want to join your organization if the problems that you've articulated align with their strength areas the areas they are most Mm -hmm. confident in their ability to lead well in does that make sense
2: yeah and there i think one of the things that um you and other recruiters at riot encouraged me towards apparently i spent a lot of time on this i was told when you didn't hire somebody to take the time to if they wanted to not everybody did let them know why you know it's not like oh we chose to go different directions so like mike like line drop you know you're ghosted um or you get a generic, like, try again in 12 months or whatever uh, type thing. It was actually to say, hey. And I had some of those conversations. And they weren't always the most pleasant conversations in the world. And sometimes they were, like, emails and different calls. But I do remember you encouraging that, others encouraging that, of, like,
0: Conflict. you know,
2: again, yeah. Like, it's, it's a tough thing to be rejected from a company. Um, and, and that's how you often feel. At the end of that, and that's what's happened in, in in a very real sense. And to have somebody say, like, hey, this is why, this is what I saw, this is what I didn't see, um, or whatever it is, um, I don't know. I remember I've, I've been through interview panels where I haven't had that. And there's just a generic, like, uh, you, yeah, it just didn't seem to fit. And so, bye, you know, and, and, I, it left me very frustrated. Somebody who was like, "How could I improve? What, where am I weak? What, what could I do better?" Um,
0: what I would say for this audience, though, is you need to be under. You need to understand the institutional risk you take on when you do provide feedback to candidates. Because remember, these processes are largely subjective, right? You're evaluating mm-hmm. them on a rubric that is filtered through your own framework, your own framing of how you think the appropriate person should be shaped like, right, what experiences they need to bring to bear, along with the sort of framework overlay of the organization that you're hiring for. And there may be some risk involved there that some organizations may just not be comfortable with because, Mm. you know, there are employment laws that do protect the rights of candidates. So there are there's some thought to be put around if you choose to go the route of giving explicit feedback to orient it towards. Craft specific gaps that are required Mm -hmm. to do the job well, right? Yes. And if the candidate, if you orient your feedback in that way, you largely mitigate most of the risk involved in providing explicit feedback to candidates. And I would argue it's usually a good practice to do it, but very often managers end up making some mistakes along the way, good-hearted ones, not ill-intended ones, but they may veer into areas that are much more subjective than craft-specific components. And that can put you in hot water as an organization for total cancer.
1: Does that that mean... My instinct is that that has become harder in the last couple of years, that that risk has gone up for a lot of reasons, hmm. my question is: is that does that mean that like it's harder to give cultural feedback? Like if it's not a culture fit situation, that that's more of a minefield than it has been in the past.
0: I think I think that's largely true, but again, that's okay. that's that that's determined more by the institution, the organization itself, right? So their legal yeah. team, whomever they they have on staff as general counsel, should be explicitly asked for input if a company wants to go down the route of providing explicit feedback, because they can give you frameworks, right? Parameters Mm -hmm. by which you can or cannot give feedback. Um, And in in the circumstance, what we're discussing was many years ago at Riot, and are we were comfortable with that risk for craft related feedback because we often found that after giving that feedback a candidate who is truly deeply interested in riot and resonated with us from a values perspective already would go make the effort to you yes. know uh, invest in their skills and then they'd come back one, two, three years later and they'd be uh, they'd have a magnificent shift, right. Yeah. In their performance there, Aaron, you and I worked on some of the, like that over the course of time. And I know Ben, we did the same thing. Yep. And, and I just remember thinking like that, that was a comp that was showcasing a company's willingness to invest in the the potential applicant pool and the potential of others and i just loved that piece at the time yeah
2: again it's an it's an ongoing relationship it's not it's yes. not a, like we pick up the phone and then we drop the phone it's a it's a relationship that you can maintain i still i still occasionally ping people who i interviewed uh, or interviewed with me um and i just like oh yep i thought you were awesome maybe they were hired maybe they weren't it doesn't like but it, you, you stay in touch with them, and you never know. Um, so, yeah. Aaron, you had a question from earlier. I don't know if it's still relevant.
1: Uh, I mean, it was just a follow-up question to the last one, which is, so we talked about um, some of the things that work. What are some of the things that don't work? Like, again, I think I don't want to put a negative spin on things, but no. interestingly, with the backdrop of the Great Resignation, with the backdrop backdrop, backdrop of workers' having more power, the things that often make candidates walk away and go feels bad m- would be really interesting to dig into because avoiding those could actually be the, one of the main things that makes you more competitive, right?
0: So one of the things that we've observed is there's a lot of Zoom fatigue, right? Um, mm. It's exhausting, And for whatever reason, although, you know, I know we used to have lived in a world where we would have folks physically come on site and spend an entire day, right, usually, and this is the part of most companies process, right, where they would, you would host them, you'd have them come in, you'd fly them from God knows where, right, in for this experience, and it would be exhausting for them, certainly, but they would have the counterpart thrill, of coming to an organization, getting to meet folks face to face, getting to have lunch, perhaps be uh have a have a unique experience tailored to them, right? The energy inflow
1: the, outflow is more balanced. It was more balanced.
0: <laughs> now yeah. I think one of the things that I've heard turns candidates off and I've seen folks withdraw from is not flexing to allow them their on-sites to be virtually over a few days, for example. Mm-hmm. Not providing with them with um, with time to compose themselves, decompress, <coughs> giving them that space. Right, insisting that they take a whole day off of their day job to do this thing, also remotely. It just it, it, it doesn't resonate well with today's candidate to be candid with you. Um, I'm curious to see actually in the future, and I truly don't know how this is gonna play out when there is a return to work and we are more hybrid in, in our approach to hiring broadly in the industry. I sort of wonder how we're going to adapt interviewing to account for that, right? Do we hmm. move back to a phase where we invite them in and we do the hosting experience and you get that inflow-outflow, or do we persist in perhaps only offering that to your finalist candidate. And then they get to have a meet and greet type experience that's wonderful and and feels good with the team, but you still get to spread their interviews out over time. I have some thoughts around this, of course, but I don't know what direction the world's gonna take. The the other thing that I think does not work particularly well or creates a really negative candidate experience, regardless of this was pre-pandemic or post, being late to an interview Appearing as an interviewer to be flustered, not prepared, or dismissive in your attitude towards a candidate, that will turn someone off faster Mm. than you would believe. And in particular, Mm. if you're a leader in the organization and you show up late and appear to be any one of those various states of disarray, right, flustered, disinterested, late, um, that's almost not forgivable. It indicates to the candidate that they are not a priority and to them that communicates that they never will be because they're never going to be more of a priority than when you are literally courting them for a position with your organization. So treat right. them as you would a future partner, <laughs> like maybe perhaps because that's what you're effectively engaging in, right? I I,
1: he- I actually heard a legit story and I couldn't believe my ears that uh, and this person was is relatively senior uh, in the kind of roles that they they were going for they had a phone screen with the person who would be their vo- boss it was a VP and uh the person called 30 minutes late and was in their car the entire time during the phone screen yep and I I, I I could not believe that that was like a real thing that happened and and I asked him I was like well what was that experience like did you stop the call or did you keep going and and his response was like, I didn't know what else to do, so I just kept going. And 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 I almost, in that moment, I just cringed for him because I'm like, I don't know what you just gave permission to there. Like, if that's the beginning of yeah. the relationship, like, you just invited in all of that disrespect. And and I I was, but at the same time, I can empathize with how awkward it would have been for him to be like, hey, this is important to me. I would like to also feel like it's important to you. You know, but like, it's like, you know, you want the job. It's like, oh man, there's so much that's just yicky about it, you know? Um, and I, obviously that's a very extreme example of what you're talking about, but um, it, it happens, I guess. Well, and that, so,
2: that, I think that's, <laughs> it you, does. you can avoid that. And I think that's what you're kind of pointing out. Like, hey, avoid that, avoid leaving the candidate feeling, I mean, you and I, Apparently that doesn't talk about like all three of us actually, Aaron and I have talked about this as well. There have been we've heard some really jacked up stories in the history of the game and games industry interviewing process that are just like, what in the world were they thinking? Like, what was going through that person's mind? That was nuts. Um, And and so obviously there are people that don't understand this, don't follow it, don't think about it in that way. Um, I think that some of the worst stories when I think about like, what's the motivation was like, were you just trying to have a good time at someone else's expense? Cause that's literally what it seems like. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, that anything like that, it makes sense why a candidate would be like, I had no idea what to do. I guess I kept going, but cause you had me trapped. Right. And I'm supposed to be the one coming hat in hand, but it's the dynamic is so broken from the start.
1: Yeah. yeah. You're lucky to have a job, right? Oh, man.
0: That's just not the reality that we live in anymore, you know? No.
1: And it's probably, again, it's a good thing if it stops that kind of crap from happening. Yes.
0: Yeah. I'd say the other thing, too, back to the respect piece, though, to have respect of the candidates is even if it's going poorly, okay? And I have been in interviews that they just, um, it just wasn't going well. Mm -hmm. Give them the grace of finishing the interview. Work with them be be congenial be receptive to them change the tables and allow them to ask you questions right give them the mm-hmm. opportunity to learn more give them a good holistic experience the interview might go poorly they might have completely failed it you might know within the first 5 minutes that this was not going to go well for a variety of reasons give them a good experience because Like, think about it this way. How many times if you get one toxic review, right, Right. that speaks much more loudly because you're much less likely to get good reviews. People are very Mm -hmm. unlikely to give satisfactory reviews and publish them, but be damned if they're not going to tell everyone when they have a shitty experience. So my my genuine, (laughs) genuine recommendation is to uphold your and think about your company's reputation with these folks And just give them a good experience, understand that you were signed up for an hour, spend that hour or 30 minutes, whatever the case may be, use it, allow them to use it, work with them through it, and then at the end of the call, thank them so much for their time, let them go, put in your feedback, give your feedback to the recruiter, and let them handle it. Right. Those
1: are rough. Those are rough for all parties involved, they are. honestly. There's, it's being a hiring manager in one of those interviews and you realize that in the first five minutes or ten minutes that you're like, oh my lord, how did this how did we end up here? Somebody screwed up for us to end up here and it's, it's,
0: it's a just gr- like great opportunity. What if you're the hiring retro. manager, you're like, it might have been me. <laughs> right. Or yeah, you're in that moment and you're like, Oh shit, I said to put this person through and I made a terrible yeah. mistake. Yeah. But here's no, the thing. Yeah. Those are There's, great learning moments, right? You can actually then retro what happened. You can talk to your recruiter, get their perspective, ask for feedback, get the perspectives of those that influenced your decision. Think about it. And then you can use that learning to avoid that situation. There was also
2: I've seen studies that show that um, the majority of people who are doing the interview in the first five or 10 minutes make up their mind. Um, And I'm disappointed by that. Um, and I remember it was a, we've
1: talked about this before you and I have,
2: yeah, it was a point of pride for me actually appropriately or not. Um, that there was a decent number of times I started interviews and I was like, in the first five minutes, I was like, this is not good. And it turned Gotta out, push through it, Got to yeah, push, through you, push it. through, you keep asking the questions you keep, because we are prone to fast thinking we are prone to being like you know what something about this didn't land for me i didn't like it i didn't Nope, that situation nope and when i kept asking and i I just went through and i mean we did i i was part of creating them so i had a lot of influence on what i was asking but like we had packets um Mm -hmm. of like these are the questions you're going to ask in this interview and i would keep going through and i was always happy when I either started liking somebody and ended up not liking them or started not liking them and ended up liking them Me because it was like, good. Because it means I'm actually paying attention to the candidate and I'm not just like, got a first read, cool. And actually, I remember there was someone named Chris, I think. And I went into an interview, it was in my last couple of years at Riot before I left, for um, a an engineer. And... I am. I am ashamed of this. I went into that interview having heard such good things about this person from other people I worked with and trusted, that I was just like, "That's ah, fine, no biggie, whatever." And I'm like, "Okay, cool." And I mean, at that point, I'm like, "Yeah, I know what I'm doing. Product process, I got it." You know, like all these things. And I walked into that interview, and I didn't know until after how little. I wasn't like rude or anything, but how little I was actually present. And when my when I think Chris. Um yeah, it was Chris. I was like, Yep, yeah, seems good. Like mid-level, all these things. Seems you know, like, like a nice guy. Yeah. And you and fell was, into
0: the nice guy trap. Oh, I hate I, that trap. Well oh. it wasn't even
2: it wasn't even nice guy. It was everybody <laughs> around me vouches for this person, and he didn't say that, you know, he wanted to bomb a building or something. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> one so, of us. So fine. And and <laughs> one I remember Chris. Of us. One yeah. Of us. Oh man, Chris came afterwards and he was like, <laughs> "I didn't think that. I had the, this problem and this problem and this problem." And I remember I had to stop because I was the senior interviewer in that. Oh my
0: god, you were the um, senior one too. Yeah, nailed, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Oh, it, was, nailed it. Oh, it was, nailed that's it. That's a nailed <laughs> it moment. Yep.
2: Like it was. It was so. It was so awful. And, <laughs> and so I'm. I'm like the senior interviewer. I'm supposed to be helping level this guy up so he can give this interview. And he just very carefully. And and honestly, I, I think I followed up with him after. Um, in the moment, I said like, I thank you, uh, because it woke me up. And then afterwards, I said I went back and I said I really appreciate that you did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was wrong, right? And I and I actually shifted my feedback. And I, um, but I remember it. Like I said, I'm not I'm not proud of it. But it's interesting how you can fall into that space so easily. And it's not you know being. Disinterested doesn't always take the form of not giving a good candidate experience, or not. In my case, it was I gave, I gave way too much leeway. I wasn't actually doing the job I was there to do, which is, hey, is this a good fit? Are you did right they pass for this role your and-?
0: competency? Is a exactly. better way of putting it. Yes.
2: Yeah. Well, another and, thing. And too, in this case, they had, but I had had them at completely the wrong level, and I was able to resolve it.
1: Yeah. Another thing that's really cool about this as well, and and this. Harkens back to something you said earlier, Aaron, where you were like, hey, nervousness and mm-hmm. you know, weird, awkward interpersonal subconscious human things happen during interviews. And uh, by doing the thing you're talking about, Ben, by pushing through, you can actually provide that person the leeway to get the jitters out. Whereas mm-hmm. if you ju- if you judge them immediately and you like bring the hammer down and they see that on your face, or they see that frustration or they're like, oh, I screwed this up, they're just gonna spiral. And there's no chance of salvaging it because to your point, if the person can salvage it and they can blow you away 15 minutes past that, that's still a good hire, that's still a good thumbs yeah. up. You and know then- what I mean? And that, and that, and and I've been there too, you know what I mean? Like I, I, there have been times in my past, especially when I was junior, where I was really struggling with self-confidence and that did not make me a bad hire. In fact, I think in certain ways it made me a more a better humble, one
0: a it, better hire. It made you a better and, one. You were more eager to yeah. to get to, to prove it actually is probably what happened in your case.
1: Yeah, and and I think that that probably happens all the time.
0: Well, if so. you scale your expectations to the seniority of the position and the candidate that you're interviewing yes. for said position, okay, just like well, and
1: scale it according to my resting bitch face, which apparently RBF strong makes, with this one. Fre- freaks people out. Strong,
0: so strong with this one.
1: I've I've had people just freak out the moment I sat down at the table and they're like, "Oh God, this guy's gonna roast me," and I'm like, "I'm channeling my inner previous mentors," apparently. So,
2: yeah. no, but th- there there was something if you get somebody who is struggling the thing i would always do is like i I, you know there were people who just like you just wait you just sit there and you wait and you let them just basically like and you were just watching somebody emotionally self-destructive for you it's like No.
0: no no don't
2: do that go up and say hey super stressful i just asked you a question you know what let's jump over Get, tell me something, tell me a fun game you've played recently, right? Like get them talking. Do something to to break them out of that a little bit, and then go back to the question. And if you have to do that every single time, hey, maybe that's meaningful, right? Like again, based on the seniority, based on the position. You know, if you're hiring a based senior on person, the RBF. Yeah, yes. yeah. Exactly. But like <laughs> don't mm-hmm. don't think that I don't it's know. True, I, yeah. There's there's things that I I was in the military and I, I never saw like real gritty combat. You know, we were shelled and everything like that. But I just like, there's this thing of, you don't know who you're going to be mm-hmm. when you're in an interview. You don't know who you're, you know, well, we, you don't know who you're going to be in combat. The best you can do is hope that you rise to level of your training. Remember, Um, or really in most cases fall to the level of your training. Their
0: cortisol levels are so elevated during the course of that that engagement that anything you can do to help them de-escalate, think of it as almost a conflict to your point. Mm -hmm. Help them de-escalate, like particularly as leaders, I think that's a good part of your accountability. The other thing too to note is a lot of folks in the games industry broadly are having conversations around diversifying their teams now, right? and. Imagine that you are an underrepresented minority candidate, and you're really excited about a game, and you just can't wait, and you're across the table from someone who doesn't look a heck of a lot like you, might be 30 years your senior, that created the thing that you were most inspired by, and you got to meet that person. What do you think that might be like? Do you think they're going to be a little bit stressed? Do you think the performance in that interview is going to be perfect? Right, right. Probably not. But if you want to hire t- a team that's truly diverse with many different perspectives and backgrounds, you're going to need to figure out how to soften your approach there to make it so that you can actually be inclusive in that space, de-escalate their cortisol levels, help them engage yeah. with you, work with yes. them. yeah.
1: Well, because- I, one of the things I'm hearing so much in everything you're saying, Aaron, is this idea of just really doubling down on the human-to-human connection. Yes. And like creating trust yeah. and creating relationships as a pathway towards hopefully a mutually beneficial
0: well arrangement and you I, can still do skills evaluation none of this is yeah. saying that during the course of the interviews you can't give them hard, hard you can't give them hard hitting questions you absolutely can do i think you should scale the questions again based on the seniority of the person and the position 100% i do but You can still run them through a craft evaluation that's difficult, that's going to be hard to accomplish, that might require a whiteboard or might require some kind of computer jamming session or might require a portfolio review where they have to discuss the differences in or in the choices that they chose to make as an artist, right? And why Mm -hmm. it shows up in a particular way. You can still do that, but I'm, I'm telling you, you can do that in a way that is not interrogative. That does not give a poor experience to that person and in fact, should help them understand what it would be like to be your partner in crime.
2: There's something I say about interviewing and we want to be growth mindset and an interview is in some sense the most fixed mindset thing because I have to take this snapshot of you right now and attempt to project into the future what's going to happen. And like, keep that in mind, the experience of them interviewing is not at all what they are going to be like or their, what their environment is going to be like when they're actually working. It's totally different. It's completely different. Like, yeah, a lot of people are nervous the first day they show up on the job, but they've got the job and now they're going to go out and it's like exciting and I get to meet people and all these things where during an interview, maybe I'm like just in a Zoom call with one other person and they're asking me a bunch of questions that's not likely to be their work experience. That's not what you're hiring them for. You're not hiring them so, because they can, under all circumstances, maintain perfect composure. Unless I mean, if you're hiring like a special forces operative. I was or gonna
0: say, there are specific roles I can think there are, of where there like, are some roles you're like gonna that. have that, but probably not in the yes. games industry. Let's be clear. We're all a little rough around the edges here. So, yeah. um,
1: Well, that's probably a good place to close things down. Aaron, thank you so much for your time. Uh, It was lovely to see you as always and uh, just awesome to hear your take on things. It's been a while since we've got to jam on game dev and hiring and technical and organizational stuff. So it's always wonderful to talk to you about these things.
0: I love it. Can't wait to do it again, my friends, sincerely.
1: Oh, we will bet on it. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to Building Better Games with Aaron and Ben. If you have comments, questions, or would like to work with Ben and Aaron, Shoot an email to info at valarinconsulting.com. That's info at consultingcom Please follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Valarin Inc. We'll catch you next time.